The great philosopher Kierkegaard said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Looking back only results in learning for people who have that time to think. And many of us are so busy with day-to-day -day demands that we rarely have time to reflect. And that's why we started What I Wish I Knew. It's for those moments when you realize that just a bit of insight might have come in handy if you had it in advance. I'm Mike Irwin. And I'm Simon Dore. So we talk with people from all walks of life, from startup entrepreneurs to Fortune 500 CEOs, professional athletes to weekend warriors, from artists and to designers, to even engineers who became designers. From those who dream to those who dream and actually do. They all have three things in common. None are perfect. All are humble and each have truly incredible learnings. In what I wish I knew, they share these lessons with you. Join us at whatiwishanewshow.com. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And please share and subscribe to What I Wish I Knew with Mike Irwin and Simon Daw. Welcome to uh, What I Wish I Knew with um, Mike Irwin and Simon Dahl. We're super excited today to be talking to, to Kate Nolan and a bit of background. She's a founder of a, of a premium women's athletic apparel brand called Grace by Grit. She's also an author and she pu published a book called Grace by Grit, The Entrepreneurial Women's Guide to Starting a Business with Power, Passion and Purpose, which is, uh, we've got we to gotta hear about that, Kate. Um, she's also a board member of, of Highly. Um, she's board member also at San Diego Sport Innovators, the Grace by Grit Foundation, and um, Girls on the Run. So she's very active in the community. She's an athlete. She's a swim coach. Um, and I think has, has spent a, a good chunk of her life in, in, in helping people improve and in, in building things. And so we're, uh, we're keen to hear kind of more about that. So um, Kate, give us just sort of a quick rundown on how did you get to this point and, and where did it all start? Oh gosh, where did it all start? It all started in Rochester, New York. That's where it all really began for me. Um, that's where I was born and raised and, uh, you know, grew up as an athlete. I was uh, the second oldest of four, uh, first girl. So I had an older brother and then two younger sisters, but I was definitely the athlete of the family. And so my father and I spent a lot of time uh, throwing the softball and him watching me swim. And uh, I think learning really the skills of what, you know, the values of what athleticism stood for. I mean, if you put, you know, a ski in front of me, I wanted to use it. If there was a dock, I wanted to figure out how to flip off of it. And so there was, all, I was constantly moving. And I think my parents were constantly trying to keep me busy knowing that was, that was who I was. And um, I went to school in Western Massachusetts. I actually didn't play any sports in college. Um, I thought, you know, that sounded like a whole lot of work. And I think what I wish I knew was that maybe that's what I stuck with, but that's another story. And, um, you know, then I, I actually, I had a daughter when I was in college. So I was a junior in college and quite a, a crazy time, a gritty moment for sure for me in terms of navigating my uh, last year and a half with a baby on my front pack and, you know, going to lecture halls and, and looking very much younger than I really even was and, and doing that and, and dealing with so much that came with that, so many layers of um, really understanding myself, understanding people better, 
Um, and from that, it really spawned just a need to provide for my family ultimately and, you know, figuring out how to make ends meet and always having this sense that, you know, I wanted to help people. And what did that look like? I was really organized. So I started a business to help uh, businesses and and people organize their lives and their in their homes. Um, and then I saw a need in our community for a, a master swim program and a youth swim team. And so I started that. Uh, then I moved out here to California about 11 years ago. And in that process, I got divorced, which was another big change and figuring out what was my next path professionally. And in that process, I, I just was looking for a swim team for my daughter and recognized that the swim team office was not as organized as it should be. And this was a big aquatic center out here in California, something I'd never seen on the East Coast, outdoor swimming pools. It was glorious, but they needed my help and needed my help really too with fundraising. So I, I joined that team and was a master swim coach and a youth swim coach and a, an executive administrator. And then I helped them with all of their fundraisers and built some incredible programs there. And in that process, met a woman who I was training for a triathlon because I had this little business on the side of coaching women um, for running. Um, and we started talking about what it was that we were not seen out there in the marketplace for women's athletic apparel. And it was just an idea. And fast forward four years, we thought, why not? We're not seeing out there something that represents who we are and the kind of women that we surrounded ourselves with. And so we started a company called Graced by Grit. And that was a five-year run that was one of the most incredible uh, journeys of my life. I mean, I would probably say I learned more in that five years than I did maybe in all of the 20 years prior, professionally speaking, that was and about people. Um, and then we sold that company in 2018 to another company called Hylete. And I joined that team for about 20 months and I exited there in April of this year. But um, one of the legacies that we wanted to make sure we left behind with uh, the clothing line was that we wanted to create a foundation that was really honoring what Grace by Grit represented. And that was women. And that was empowering women to be the leaders of tomorrow. And so the foundation, the Graced by Grit Foundation, um, is a scholarship fund for young women athletes going to college. And that's something I run now. So that's sort of my, the whole, the whole gamut. There's lots of details in between that I'm sure we'll cover, but that's where I am today. So here I am in San Diego, um, not in Rochester, New York with snow or bad weather, but enjoying uh, sunny San Diego. Hey, Kate, Simon um, uh, here. Um, just in terms of though you, your first kind of period and you, you, you mentioned you're part of a, a big family, you know, three girls, I think you said, and a, and a brother. I mean, I get the sense even when you described your family and, and how you played with your dad and you kind of went out there, um, I got a sense there of um, a fearlessness. Um, is that something you associate with? And, and, and just tell, tell us a little bit about where or how that came about? Is that a, a DNA in you? Is that a particular event? Is that how the family structure is? What, you know, because sometimes we say it's, it's nurture and nature. I mean, can you just elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, you know, I, th I think for me, it's a combination. I think it was partly that I'm a risk taker innately. And I, I mean, that doesn't mean that I'm not fearless, though. I mean, I'm, I definitely have fears. And I think with some of the risks I take, I feel a tremendous amount of fear with it. Um, but I think that is actually what drives me to take the risks is that I got to see if I can do this. Um, and so I think that started when I was really young. And I also had incredible parents that really supported me and thought, 
you should be able to accomplish anything that you want to accomplish. That, that didn't come with get, out getting in trouble though as a teenager, because certainly there was lots of risks I was taking that they were not proud of or wanting me to take at that point. But I do think that was a real combination of nature and nurture for me. And I think if I maybe hadn't had parents that said, you know, we encourage you to, to go for it, maybe I wouldn't have been as much of a risk taker. But, you know, when I started my company, Grace by Grit, my father did say, well, that's really nice that you're doing that, but what are you going to do for a job? So <laughs> have no Thanks, fear God. that my father definitely yeah. was all along the way, there was lots of questions in terms of my risks. You know, but just to go back then, so. You, you, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, Mike. No, I, I was just going to elaborate finally on that piece. So you have come to, to this uh, discussion here in terms of getting the energy and the style that you are. How, how would you describe yourself alongside your brothers and sisters then? Are you similar? No, I'm different. I'm different. Well, I define myself as the fun one. So they don't like that descriptor. <laughs> but I would say that, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think I got more of that uh, fearlessness than anybody did in my family. And um, it's something that actually has been a challenge in the, those relationships in that I am constantly frustrated by my family members or my siblings that won't take the risks that I see being so possible for them to get to the next step. And, you know, it's just not how they're made. It's, there's, there's, there's a pragmatic approach for, for two of my siblings that they have to take in order to get to that decision-making um, and me pushing and, and grinding them to make decisions faster or to do things quicker has not always lended to a great conversation. But yeah, so I'm very different from my siblings in that context. Um, of, of being the person that will go out there. I mean, I'll go out in the middle of a storm on a sailboat on the lake because the wind is ripping and I don't see any thunder so and lightning. So it's like, well, why not? And they would all think I'm crazy while I'm doing it. But that was just who I was. <laughs> you know, on, that, on that note about, um, about risk, you know, Alex Honnold and, you know, in the, you know, the movie about climbing, about climbing El Cap um, talked about separating, you know, sort of the... Um, the risk from the consequence. In other words, you can fail. Um, and, and what he was trying to say is that, you know, that he could, he could mitigate the risk, he couldn't mitigate the consequence. So if he fell, you know, then he dies. So he couldn't change that part of it. But what he could change is the risk by being prepared. And in your mind, you know, you talked about being a risk taker and as you look at business or as you look at the way you live your life, do you calculate that way? That's a really interesting question. I don't know that I've ever looked at it like quite like that. And I did love that movie. So I'm remembering that, that, that time he was talking about it. You know, I think, yes, I think subconsciously, I'm probably calculating that risk when I really look at it. And I think part of that is a confidence. If I'm going to go and do something, there's an innate confidence that I have that I feel like I can accomplish it. You know, so whether that's a physical activity of, okay, I'm going to go and do a shoot up in Montana and ski this shoot that is really crazy steep, but I feel like I have the skill set to be able to accomplish that. So when it came to business, I think I felt that same way, even though, by the way, I had no extensive business background, particularly with Grace by Grit, where it was very much, I mean, I wasn't a designer. I had no, you know, I had never started a business to the capacity that we were talking about building a brand to, but there was definitely something in me that just said, 
you know, I feel like I have the ability to do it. I have a foundation that's there to figure it out. And if what I don't know, I can figure out. And I also wasn't ever stupid enough to feel like I know everything. <laughs> and I think that's a mistake I often see so many people making is they feel like they, they know everything and they're not looking to others to be those experts. And so I relied heavily on the people that knew what I didn't know in order to succeed. And I think, you know, part of being a risk taker is for me is, is that, is that part of it? Is that narrative? Is that I have to have that community surrounding me, um, the, whether it's just supporting me and listening, you know, hearing me out, or it's people that are really pushing me and know the things that I don't know. And do you feel that's evolved, or you again that's part of the kind of engine and the formula that you've always had? Well, that's evolved for sure. And I think part of that, you know, has come with some failures for, you know, along the way that happened. And, and not that I would say that having my daughter was a failure by any means, you know, but being 20 and being in college and pregnant, that was not the plan. Um, but it was where I decided to go with it. And it was a hard road to go down that. And it hadn't, you know, but I, I believed in myself to to do it and to be a great mother, despite you know, sort of having a, a rough go at it where I hadn't had my formal education completed and, you know, wasn't even supporting myself when I found out I was pregnant. You know, my father was putting me through college. So I think it was, but there was still that innate sense of I have people around me that can help me and I can, I can do this. But that didn't mean it wasn't hard. <laughs> And so in that way, I mean, you, okay, you know, and I as, guess, as, as a young mother, did that change your calculation of what you were willing to do, knowing that you had someone who's dependent upon you? Uh, yeah, it did. It really did. And it actually, that was a personal struggle for me for a long time because there was a lot of risks I wanted to take that, you know, in the back of my head, it was, I'm a mom now. And is this are these the right risks to be taking with a, with a young daughter? And then I had another daughter a couple years later too. And I was fortunate at that time I had a great partner and, you know, we were just young, but we were figuring it out together, but there was still, you're providing for a family. You're starting off, you know, with sort of the odds against you and without having that foundation of a relationship or even just a home. Um, but yeah, so I definitely, I held back and even professionally, I held back a lot because I felt and it was sort of in my mind too. all these women that were of, you know, in my family, all the older generations of you don't want to lose this time with your children because it's going to be gone and then you won't ever get it back. And so it was a big struggle for me of I wanted to dig in professionally and be this businesswoman that I had always envisioned myself being. I mean, I never even wanted children. I wasn't one of those little girls that thought I'm going to get married and have kids and then it's that's life. That was not my program that I thought I was on. So, so it was definitely, you know, a really personal struggle of like, how much can I give time away that gives me this personal value, right? And gives me a sense of purpose outside of my family versus losing time then that I would never give back. And so it was really hard to navigate that for years. And still, I think for women, that's a huge challenge, regardless of when they start their families. That's a, that's a common theme I hear. You know, you can be 40 years old and you've had an incredible career and you're still struggling with the same things I felt at 21. Oh, that's fascinating. And you talked earlier about, in terms of your uh, early years and, and still doing it, a lot of sport and activity. For, for the people listening, 
you know, would you say that's important? And if so, what's that done for you? Yeah, I mean, I think sports are just incredibly important. And I think in particular for young women to participate in athletics. Um, and I don't even mean, you know, you don't have to be part of a competitive team and be the top, you know, soccer player, goalie. I mean, it's just about the camaraderie of being on a team and understanding um, what that really represents. And, you know, the reason we started the foundation and felt it was such a powerful way to to bring up the future generation of leaders is because we understand the values that are learned by participating in sports are what you need to be professionally successful. So leadership, teamwork, self-confidence, learning how to lose, learning how to win, um, learning how to communicate when times are tough and when they're really great too, learning how to be humble. Um, and so, yeah, I think that especially for young women, it's so valuable. And what we often see statistically is girls fall off with sports in seventh and eighth grade because their confidence is going down, their bodies are going through changes. They've, you know, especially now with social media, there's so much that they're seeing and hearing that they're feeling like they have to live up, up to. And if they can just push through that time period and stick with it, we know that they have such a greater chance of success and a higher self-confidence too, and a, a higher, um, positive body awareness of who they are. You know, one so of yes, the I guess the, the answer is yes. I totally think it's valuable. <laughs> one of the things I spent, you know, a lot of years, uh, my kids were all in sports too, and I spent a lot of years as a soccer coach. And one of the things I noticed, Kate, was that there really weren't nearly as many women coaching even girls teams at a rec level, you know, when my kids were, were growing up. And I was always kind of wondering why that was. And you know, hoping that, you know, women would get involved and I'd rather serve as an assistant to a woman head coach, you know, with, you know, on a kid's sports than be the head coach, you know, with just a bunch of dads out there doing the coaching. And so, but I wondered, you know, you have two daughters and, you know, you're athletic yourself. I'm sure your daughters are as well. Do you feel like the athletic experience for girls is, is different than it is for boys? Absolutely. I mean, I do think that's changing now. The landscape is certainly changing and I, I love to see that. But for me, absolutely. My coaches were all men until I went to high school and then I had a female swim coach and that was a different experience. And, you know, she had two small children and she was, and she was navigating being a young parent and coaching all of these varsity swimmers with the time commitment that that came and we saw the stress that that put on her for her family but her dedication and um, her ability to connect because she understood, I think, a little bit better about where we were at as, you know, because she was a woman, that for me resonated tremendously and created an incredible experience to also go, you know, here's a woman that's busting her butt, getting paid very she's doing this. She's doing this because and she believes in us and she wants to set in a good example, which truly I think that's what she was doing. And so that was really my first experience with it. And, you know, I've seen it with my girls where they have had male coach after male coach. And so it's really, really hard for you to say, well, you know, stick with this. You could, you could go somewhere with this someday when they're going, well, where would I go with it? Where is there for me to go? This isn't the same trajectory that my male counterparts have when they're soccer players and football players. You know, that we're not, you don't hear very many young women saying, I want to be a professional athlete. And how many young boys do you hear saying that, you know? And so it's because we don't have those examples for us out there. And that's part of what I'd like to change, um, both from an athletic standpoint and a professional standpoint. 
at the top. And so, you know, but I agree with you. I think it's, it's a very challenging thing to get a young girl engaged when she's uh, saying, well, where, where's the women for coaching me? And where are the women examples out there that are, that are professional athletes that represent what these male athletes have? Because <laughs> it's not happening for them. And just on that, what, you know, just, just t- t- tell us a bit about the challenges then that you see of that interaction, you know, from a male coach to a young girl um, um, training in a particular sport? You know, I think, I mean, I was fortunate. And so I never had a bad experience that I can remember at least that stood out of saying, gosh, that was because he was a man. And that's why it was a bad experience. I, I didn't have that. I've certainly heard about plenty of them. I think, you know, as I mentioned, those seventh and eighth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade years are so important for young girls with athletics. And I think as a male coach, it would be very hard to understand what young women are going through unless they're educated on it, which I think is part of what should be happening in terms of, you know, where is the self-doubt coming from? What are the hormonal shifts that are happening? Um, What is society telling them about athletics that we need to now you know, debunk and say that that's not true and you can make it big and how do I help you get there? Um, And those conversations really never happened. I mean, I think, you know, I loved being on a team and it was fun and it was happy and I was learning skills. Um, But if I had been a girl that was hesitating about whether or not that was the right move for me, I don't know that my coach would have been able to connect in the same way at that age um, as if it had been a female coach that had maybe said, Hey, I remember this moment for me. I remember my body changing. I remember feeling insecure and not understanding why. And let me tell you what you can actually gain from sticking, sticking with this and, you know, and pushing through what, what the other side is going to look like for you when you know how to do that is incredible. And I think that's where, you know, that's where I think there's a lot of struggles for young girls is because they're not able to have those conversations because men aren't being taught how to have them. So I think that's, you know, a great example. And I certainly saw that with my daughter with soccer. She was having a really hard time and it was hard to connect with her coach in terms of where her head was at mentally, not her skill. I mean, that she could talk about that all day long. You know, where was there room for improvement? But that's not just what being on a team is about, right? It's about overcoming a lot of mental stuff. Um, so that, I mean, I would say that that's a that would be the one thing that I would say, if we could get more women involved during those ages for young girls, I think we could make a big impact on how many girls continue to participate in sports. And that impact too, then leads to a greater chance of success professionally because they don't have the lack of confidence when they're trying to lean in for the raise and they're trying to lean in for the promotion or the job interview. And you know, so much of that confidence is built during those formative years. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that my um, my older daughter played um, soccer all the way through college, and it was only during her high school years that she had a woman as coach, and you know, a, a legendary coach at Cathedral High School here in San Diego. But that was the only time in all of those years, and she was a kid that grew up, you know, aspiring to play professional sports, and you know, signed this spring to play in Europe, and that was all cut out by COVID. And I look at her now, and I think, you know, that opportunity for her was cut short largely because women's sports is nowhere near as developed for soccer at least um, as it is for men's and you know were she a man she would be 
on to play in Europe or on to play in the professional leagues in the U.S., which would be bigger than the eight or nine teams that they have right now. But, but I think, you know, there, there, as you look at the business world now, I, I've seen as she's gone through, now she's past few months, you know, embarked on a regular career search, but I see a lot of, um, a lot of firms looking at athletes saying, you know, there's a lot of characteristics that, that enable people to be successful in sports that also enable people to be successful in, um, in life. And that's where you were talking about, you know, that what are the lessons from sport? But I, I, I think too now about if you take that, you know, those examples and that those formative years in, in sports for girls at, you know, 12, 13 years of age, wouldn't you say the same thing applies in business though? They, they come out of school or whatever, and they're starting in business. And in my opinion, too many of their supervisors are likely to be men. Um, Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. maybe un- un- unaware, unwilling to understand what it takes to to effectively work with women. I absolutely agree. Is that you know that subconscious bias that. Um, we're so all socialized with, by the way, that's not, you know, unique to just men being socialized differently than women. I mean, I was socialized that same exact way. And so, you know, that bias that exists absolutely is there in the workplace as they're navigating, how did they start their career to how did they build it up and get to where they want to go? So yes, it's absolutely there. I mean, and I, I did experience that. And I don't know that even at the time I knew that that's what I was experiencing you know, until it was pointed out to me. I think it was, um, and by the way, the conversations are so loud right now that are happening out there about these exact, exactly what we're talking about. Um, that implicit bias piece um, that is just innately there for women that are trying to, you know, to uh, gain money for their businesses, to raise money for their uh, businesses. You know, we only have 16% of female founded companies that are being invested in by venture capital. And that number has not changed in the last three years. So there, that is absolutely there, <laughs> you know, along, along every layer of business. And so, you know, how do we, how do we change those conversations? I mean, I think, and, and how do we change that trajectory for women? I think, you know, sports is one way that under having that value system is one thing, but I think, you know, to your point, how do we educate men at every level professionally about what has been taught to us wrongly about, you know, equality in the workplace and how do we have them help us you to help us um, to get to to where women there is an equal playing field, truly an equal playing field, and I think that's where the that's really where it begins is to have the hard conversations um, with men that you're working with, or really it's about you know who are your allies there that can support you to have those conversations when you're at work because that it's hard that's really really hard. Hey. A really interesting point there then. So <clears throat> you talk about that interface uh, between men and uh, women. I mean, men and women are going to be listening to this podcast. What should men be doing? They should be asking the women that work with them, how does this feel for you being a woman here? What, you know, how can I help you navigate your career? How can I be more inclusive? Um, you know, and this is something that certainly, Mike, you know, I have uh, participated in here locally with joining the board at SDSI, where I'm, uh, I think, the third woman to join the board. And I think there's a common theme and a misunderstanding that because the, the three women that sit on the board 
that we should be the women bringing other women to participate in the board, right? And I, I've, I've turned that and flipped that conversation and said, well, time out. All of you men that are sitting here have women in your lives that are powerful, that are leaders, that are successful. Why are you not bringing them to the table? You know, because I think the authentic thing to do is for men to recognize that they have the power to make this change. And, you know, and it's not to say I don't have power. I have plenty of power, but the power has not been given to me <laughs> and nor, you know, women for thousands of years. It's been given to men. So it's truly where I feel that men need to say, how can I make the change? How can I participate in creating what I really believe I want to see? And I think there's so many men out there that say, I believe in equality. I believe there should be just as many women leaders. I believe that pay should be equal for the same job. And so it's asking those hard questions. And, and, and I think it's saying, hey, I want you to join me at this table. You know, we talk a lot about this for women in particular that you, um, that rather than, you know, climbing on each other's shoulders, which I think was done a lot professionally for women, particularly in the 80s and 90s, because there weren't very many women there that were trying to climb the ladder uh, professionally, where it was sort of the saying that they were climbing on each other's shoulders to get to the top versus holding each other's hands to get to the top together. And so I think, you know, amongst women now, that's certainly happening where I'm saying, okay, I'm going to this meeting, I'm going to bring another woman with me because she deserves to have a seat at this table too. And to listen in and to learn how to listen and learn how to lean in. And I'm learning how to have conversations in, you know, a big setting where maybe there's only two or three other women and the vernacular that you use to encourage other women to participate. There's little cues that we're all learning to do that. And so it's not just me knowing that with women, I think it's teaching men those exact same things. You know, a lot of times, and this is an example where, you know, a woman would come up with an idea and versus me saying, you know, well, that's a good idea, but the difference is that's a really great idea. And I think in addition to that, and so how do we teach men to do that? We just have to talk about it. We have to do things like this that we're doing right now, or hope, hopefully people see that. And there's a light bulb moment that says, I can do that. That is so simple for me to do. And it just takes one little tweak to make, to make a totally different perception of what that, that experience is. And, and Kate, what you say makes eminent sense to us. But bear in mind, you know, some... Uh, women and men may, may not be as consciously competent as you are now. I mean, what what would you recommend are the baby steps, I guess, that you wish you knew or you would in, endeavor to give to men and women? You know, I think the baby steps, because I think it's challenging. I think a lot of men in particular are... Um, they don't want to feel uncomfortable or like they're going to say something wrong. And I think that's often, and this is happening too with Black Lives, Black Lives Matter right now, right? Where it's very much, you know, as a white person, what am I going to say? Am I going to, am I going to offend somebody with what I say or how do I say? And I think the first step is recognizing the, you know, is the awareness piece, right? Okay. We're different. I can recognize that we're different. The second step is listening 
and really listening hard to the to what's going on and getting your information from the right sources, right? And then I think the third step is just saying, how can I help you? You know, how, I want to help you and I understand that there's an inequality here. And so how can I help you? Because I think when you when you ask that question, it opens up an entirely different conversation. Um, and no one's ever asked me that, by the way. <laughs> I wish they did. <laughs> but I, you know, I think that's where it, it's such a challenge because it's a vulnerable place to be when you ask that question because you might not get the answer you want to hear, but you're gonna you're going to hear an answer that will be valuable and will make you think, and that's one step in the right direction. And then continue that conversation. How am I doing with this? You know, how how am I including you enough? How where can I include you more? How can I advocate for you in the workplace? How can I advocate for your counterparts in the workplace? And, you know, all of a sudden, then you're, you're on a mission and you are side by side with that person because they understand that you're committed to getting them and you to where you want to be together because that's where we both want to see the world. And I think that's where the magic happens. And I have seen that happen. And I, I hear about it more and more. And I certainly think, you know, Black Lives Matter has opened up sort of, um, in some ways, there's so much out there right now, but it really gives you the steps to break it down. They're no different for what women are trying to accomplish either. You know, it's it's very similar in that in that same theme in terms of how to navigate. I love what you the way you boiled it down though, because from where I sit, it feels like a lot of people can be supportive conceptually. Oh, I believe people should make the same amount of money. I believe that people should um, should be given equal opportunity. Um, I believe that people should be treated fairly. But I think it's making that translation from, oh, I agree with those concepts to what am I gonna do as an individual to do my part to make sure that those things happen, that they're not just concepts, but they're actually the way that we can make society better, the way that we can make business better, the way that we can make, you know, truly make, you know, kind of a level playing field. And, and probably that's where I see many people getting stuck. They're like, well, I'm not a racist or I'm not sexist, so therefore I'm okay. And I think what hopefully this awakening in recent times is it's not enough to see yourself as, well, I'm not that, so I'm okay. It's no, I'm not that, but in order for me to be okay, I have to take action. It's exactly right. And I think it's the action. And actions, we all know, speak louder than words. So, I mean, I think I said that to my kids when they were, what, two? <laughs> it's still true today. <laughs> so let's talk about Grace by Grit then. Where did that come from? You know, you, you, you talked about, you know, briefly about it before, but you saw a problem. And how do you go from what you were doing before, you see a problem, and then you actually turn it into a business? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me and my business partner, we we instantly connected in the, in the sense that we saw the world the same. We had the same aesthetic in terms of what we liked <laughs> on women, what they were wearing, um, and the same you know, quality of hand of fabrics, et cetera. And so I was lucky because I found a partner that we saw things the same. And so there was that instant piece there for us. 
what we had that was different was a very different life experience. She is almost 16 years older than me. Um, she has a very different background. I mean, she talk about a woman um, that was against the odds, you know, chemical and material science engineer at Berkeley. Um, and then she became one of the first female executives at um, the Yellow Pages. And then she helped privatize a, a telephone company in Venezuela. And so she was always the only woman in the room. And in fact, for her, she didn't even say ever in her own head, gosh, it's weird that I'm the only woman here. I'm being mistreated because I'm a woman. I mean, that didn't even cross her mind. It was just work, work, work until we started Grace by Grit and we tried to raise capital. And so, so to, 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 to go back with why we started to Grace by Grit was because we saw a need in the marketplace and we thought we can do better. Why we thought we could do better was just maybe just who we are, but we really believed that the women around us that answered our survey, we did a survey monkey to all the women, and, you know, and there was 20 questions of what do you wear? What do you want to wear? What, you know, what, et cetera, et cetera. And we thought, okay, well, these hundred women that answered this, they must be representative of a bigger population here in the United States. So we have something. And so we believed in ourselves enough to start the company. And so then we thought, okay, well, we've got these great ideas. We're going to go out there and we're going to raise money. That was not as easy as it seemed. And that's where for, for Kimberly, it was really the first experience of recognizing there is a big discrepancy here of what is actually happening out there. Um, and so that was a huge challenge for us um, within, within the confines of growing that business was trying to raise capital. And we made some big mistakes too. I mean, what I wish I knew, I wish I knew that women were not trained to invest because what we did was we kept trying to find high net worth women that uh, we believed would say, okay, here's two female founders. We totally believe in their vision and their mission, and we're going to put our money behind it. And women are not trained to invest. And so we went after the wrong people to invest. Investors invest. You know who investors are? Primarily men. And so it was a lot of wasted time for us um, in terms of trying to access that. And we also thought we could change the narrative. We thought we're gonna teach these women that this is what they should be doing, but it's such a systemic problem that there's, you know, there's incredible organizations now that have popped up. I mean, you look at Elinvest, who, you know, Sally Krawcheck, she is just mm -hmm. really bringing that conversation to light and changing the, the playing field for women to understand that they actually have control over their money and they can build wealth by themselves and they can make bigger decisions outside of the household finances. They can actually make long-term investment decisions, but that comes with education. And it comes with education on both sides, right? Where it's also, you're saying to men, you don't need to be in charge of this all the time. This isn't just your, you know, your responsibility anymore. Um, to handle this. And so anyway, we tried to change that whole narrative. We were, I think, too far ahead of ourselves, but it came with a lot of challenges. But Grace by Grit and really what the ethos of the brand represented for both of us was about how we had each experienced these really gritty moments in our lives that at the end of the day gave us our grace. For me, that first gritty moment was having my daughter at 21 years old. And what a hard time that was. But I figured it out and I was blessed with a wonderful daughter who showed me that what love was. And also I realized that really great things can come of really hard times. My business partner unfortunately lost her first husband to cancer at a very young age. And she thought, here I am, you know, 28 years old, massive medical debt for what he had gone through and thought, how am I going to survive? What is my next step? I'm 28 years old and I'm already widowed. 
and she pushed through and she became a high level powerhouse executive and that's how she defined herself and that was her grace through that moment and so when we started to look at that and i think for me this goes back to you know i was 16 years old i got a job at a friend's pharmacy and part of the um pharmacy was that we delivered the prescriptions to people that couldn't make it in so those were primarily older people or disabled people and i was the delivery person and it was an incredible experience because you'd go to these homes to deliver their prescriptions. Well, I was often the only person they would see for a couple of days. And so you'd hear the stories and I was always interested in hearing the backstory of people. That has been a fascination. I love hearing people's stories. Why are they the way they are? What makes them? What are their families like? What excites them, right? What pisses them off? And so I think that translates to Grace by Grit for Kimberly and I, where it was, there's all these women that have incredible stories and they have persevered through things, whether they chose those things themselves or they just happened to them and they figured out how to push through and that grit became their grace. And so for us, the theme of that took on a life of its own. Little did we know it took on a life of its own. I mean, I was driving the coast two years after we started and I saw these women wearing Grace by Grit on the beach doing a photo shoot and I thought, they're wearing our clothes. I've got to pull over and see what they're doing. And I went and I talked to them and they, and they didn't know who I was. And they said, oh, there's these great clothes, Grace by Grit. And I said, oh, that name, Grace by Grit. I said, I just love it, being sarcastic, thinking they knew who I was. And the woman that was there said, you don't understand what grace by grit means. And I said, really, I don't. She goes, no, I am a mother of four. I have stage four breast cancer. I'm fighting for my life right now. And every day that I meditate, the words grace by grit go through my head because that defines me. And it was all, and that was one of a hundred stories I could tell you where it was this life of its own of people really that resonated with them. And so what the brand became was that storytelling piece of we never had models. All of the women that we used for marketing were women that were, you know, out in our community that represented the brand really well. Um, we talked a lot about those stories and it became this place where women felt like they could be vulnerable and they could share, but then they could go out there and kick some serious ass because they had the apparel that was like their armor and and that and we talk about athletics i mean for us too that was where that those athletics tied back in it's like you're struggling what should you turn to you know probably not alcohol you should be turning to fitness you know you should be turning to some healthy ways to push through and so it, it just it became this whole life of its own that was incredibly wonderful to be a part of and you know i i was that woman was right i did not know what grace by grit meant to her that was her own story, and I was so lucky to be able to hear and be part of it. And Kate, um, fascinating story, and I love it. Um, what, how would Kim describe you if we interviewed her just soon after we'd spoken to you? Bossy. <laughs> <laughs> she always says, I'm "Is that bossy. it?" <laughs> no, no, that's not it. No, I'm uh, sure there's bossy, more. Impatient. I'll. I'll uh, I'll start to say some nice things here. Now, bossy, impatient, um, you know, I'm fierce, I'm compassionate, I'm very empathetic. Um, I'm more of a coach than a boss, I would say, but um, she calls me a coach a lot too. And I think that started with how our relationship began. You know, she had hired me to train her for a triathlon and 
Um, I was convinced that she was just trying to not have to run so hard by distracting me with conversations about what women were wearing as we were talking about starting this business. <laughs> and really, I think she was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, she would, I would think she would describe me as, you know, bossy, empathetic, hardworking, um, funny. I think I'm really fun too. We had a lot of fun together. And I think that's where our business uh, felt very successful for us too, because we surrounded ourselves with so many incredible people that worked with us that it did become a really fun time, especially when it was stressful. For some reason, that's when we would giggle the most was like, okay, this is 11 o'clock at night. This is due at midnight and we're trying to get this loan. And if we don't get this in, we have to start all the paperwork tomorrow. And for some reason, that would be the funniest thing in the entire world. So we had a lot of fun along the way. Yeah. That's really interesting. Don't you think that patience is a gift? Sorry, go ahead, Simon. That's okay. No, just to close on that one, though, you you described a few things there, fierce and gritty, and then you you mentioned a lot more things about yourself, you know, um, um, active listening, caring. I get the sense that, again, you think about people, women or men, um, in their roles, it's... I get the sense from what you're describing, you, you kind of have to have a club of, of not necessarily a characteristics, but you have to think about yourself in an environment and where you are because you know what your natural piece is, but then you, you kind of balance that. Is that how you work? Is that how you think? Yes, I definitely think. I mean, I think I have, uh, I'm oversensitive to other people's feelings and, um, and maybe not even their feelings. I could, well, I guess it's their feelings. I, I sense discomfort very easily. I sense anxiety. I sense fear. Um, I sense confidence. I mean, I sense all the gamut of things. So I think I tend to sort of go, okay, how am I going to navigate this? And you know, how am I going to either boost this person up or back off and let them lead because I know that's important to them. So yes, I think I do that very well. And I think Kimberly and I balanced each other very well too, because we're both, you know, sort of alpha women in our own rights, but very different types of alpha women. And so, you know, where we, we tended to do well was that balancing act specifically with our employees and business meetings of going in and, you know, where she wasn't aware of something that was happening, maybe on, on the other side of the table, I would be able to lean in and, and push on it. And that's where I think the partnership became very successful for us. Um, but that, that comes with time too of working with somebody and you don't have that right off the bat. And so there's mistakes and lessons learned along the way to get there, certainly. And just finally on that, I get a sense then, uh, this kind of balance of the EQ that you describe, how or what should people be thinking about? And you know, again, in terms of the, what I wish I knew, maybe, um, uh, people say starting up or, or making mistakes right, right now they may not have a level of EQ as we could describe it. What, what things would you tell them? Oh, if they don't have that yet, but they're, they're trying to gain that. Um, listen, listen to people, ask them what, what, what they feel, ask them how they experience you. I think that is huge. Having awareness about how others experience you, which by the way, is a very vulnerable thing to do when you do that, because you might not always like the answers. You know, I can come across aggressive and I heard that a lot and that was really hard to hear. I don't want, I don't want anyone to think I'm aggressive. And what I interpreted, what I thought I was doing 
was communicating passion. And there's a big difference between passion and being aggressive or sort of like a bully and trying to get someone to do something for you. And so I think when you ask those questions, it allows you to go, okay, what perception do I wanna put out there? And how do I do that? And I think that a lot of that comes with educating yourself too, right? Once you know those things, you know, there's so many resources and tools now available online, especially in this COVID world where <laughs> you can find lots of different ways to, um, to improve yourself professionally and personally. And so, but that, that starts with awareness. I mean, it, it, I think that's sort of the theme here too. It's that awareness piece. And you're only going to have that awareness when you ask the question. And ask it to people that you know will give you the real answer too, because there's a lot of people out there that will tell you what you want to hear and that doesn't do you any good. You know, we were talking about the difference in um, kind of men and women a bit on that. But when you talked about being perceived as aggressive, do you think that, I mean, it may be hard to answer, but if you were a man, would that have been a, a positive trait, the aggressiveness would have been sort of positive because it's stereotypically a masculine trait as opposed to because you're a woman and, and a woman who conveys passion can sometimes be received in a way that's different than a man. A million percent, of course, of course. I mean, and I've experienced that a lot of different levels. I'll give you an example. When I was at Hylete, I, um, I was in charge of HR and our culture. And so I, um, you know, silliness, silly things that happen in offices, right? People don't wash their own dishes and they leave them in the sink for others to do. That's not how I like to function within a business, but people do it. They make mistakes. So part of my weekly email was a little housekeeping update on, hey, if you do the dishes, clean up. Like, this is ridiculous and I'm not your mother and no one else should be your mother and this is how we should all live and this is community and yada, yada. And I went into the kitchen after and there was two uh, mid-level guys that were in there and they said, whoa, we saw mama bear come out in that email. And I said, hold on a sec. If I was the CEO and I was a man and I sent that email, what would you have said? And they said, absolutely nothing. And I said, that's right. You wouldn't have. So, you know, I think for me, it was pointing out for, to them of like, they were seeing it so differently. If I was a guy that said that exact same thing, they'd have been like, well, the boss spoke. We got to do our dishes or I don't want to piss him off. You know, whereas for me, it was like, oh, you're just being mama bear. And you're just, you know, telling us all to clean up our clothes off the floor and it's like, hold on a second here, boys. We're going to have a conversation about what that really is. You know, and that's just one example. But yes, did absolutely. I think that that aggressive would have been interpreted as passion if I was a man. Absolutely. She's super passionate about what she does. She really believes in it. She wants to succeed. She wants to get this point across versus because I'm a woman, it was perceived totally different. But I've learned to smile a lot more because apparently that's part of, if I smile more when I'm passionate, it makes it less aggressive as a woman. I don't see very many men doing that, but that's where, that's where I, I have to socialize myself to understand that everyone doesn't understand it quite yet. <laughs> that's really interesting. And you talked earlier about, you know, the efforts and, and, and what you see in the marketplace, um, that interaction you felt is getting better. Is that true i mean 20 years ago 30 years ago to today you know is there more kind of walk the walk 
and not just talk the talk or do you still seeing pockets in certain areas in certain ways etc that's you know doesn't a uh, countenance that i mean i think it's true i think it is better i think you know generally it's better there's certainly pockets and i think it depends on where you live what kind of business you're in um you know, certainly the businesses that I associate myself with and tend to look to, you know, and say, you know, these are aspirational brands or businesses that I, you know, would want to stand behind or um, would put up on a pedestal. I think they are not only, you know, talking the talk, but they are walking the walk. Um, and I love to see that. <clears throat> and I think it's even happening, you know, for very small businesses too, where these conversations are happening and they're, you know, it's like they don't even think anything different. I mean, I, I hear about all my daughters, for example, they, in their heads, when I say, do you, do you see this? Do you see this inequality that I've experienced or in your grandmother's experience and your aunts are experienced? Like, are you seeing this as a 19 year old girl? And they're like, no, we haven't seen that yet. And I think how incredible that they haven't felt that yet. And it's not to say it hasn't happened to them and maybe they're just not aware, but I think there's a really big difference in this next generation that fills me with a tremendous amount of hope too, because I think they see the world so differently because of social media, frankly. I think they've been able to see things that are different. And there's been a really big movement and push, you know, progressive thinkers, of course, but there's been a big push to normalize so many things that were not normal before for us to see. And that's where, you know, I have tremendous hope for the future generation of professionals of what the workplace looks like. Um, and we hear about it, right? We hear big companies that are trying to make changes and they're really not making those changes, right? They're all the talk. And then you, you see these unicorns and chain in, in that are out there that really are doing it. And you say, you know, that, that there, that has only happened because of all the hard work that's been put up leading to this point. And because they have incredible leaders that are aware. That's, that's great. Fascinating. As you think about things now then, you know, looking back at your, your trajectory so far, is there anything you wish you didn't know? That, um, you know, and, and sometimes that's as you look at young people, you know, and what happens is they get into their, into their lives and their careers and challenges and comes up. But for yourself, is there anything you wish you didn't know? You know, that's such an interesting question. I, you know, I don't know if I wish I didn't know something because knowledge is power, right? When the more, you know, even the ugliest things, it, it, it does give you power. And so for me, you know, there's nothing that I, I mean, I wish I didn't see some of the ugly things that were happening in the world, but without seeing those, would it, push and encourage me to make the kind of change and to advocate for the things that I believe in, I don't think it would. And so, no, I don't think there is anything that I wish I didn't know. I mean, I wish I didn't know how hard it was for women to raise money because maybe then I'd feel less defeated by it. Mm -hmm. But again, if I didn't know that, I wouldn't be this advocate today that I am to be pushing for that change to happen. So. I guess not. I'm so curious what other people would answer with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, like you your answer. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm both. <laughs> That's true. 
Well, Thanks. Kate, this has been this has been fantastic. We, uh, you know, you have so much here, and you know, been Simon and I both been making notes, and I know that we'll, you know, we'll go away from this thinking, gosh, you know, what about this? What about this? And you know, I would love to carry this on forever, but we know that you're uh, you're a busy person and want to respect your time. So we do want to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to talk with us. This has been an amazing conversation, and um, so glad that you, that you took the time to join us. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, I can't wait to see it and share it with everyone out there. No, fantastic, Kate. Thank, thank you as well. And it looks like we're both in the same sauna, but by the way, the wood is at the top. It's, it's not real, I, I promise you. There's, there's no heat here, so, especially in, in the a, a UK. But no, it's absolutely a, a fascinating. And I loved, as I said at, at the onset, and Mike mentioned you a few times when we were talking um, over the weeks and months, I love that grit. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, really, really good. I see the energy of that in my daughters now, and, and it's, it's fantastic. Absolutely. Amazing. Oh, I love it. Keep encouraging good. it. Keep encouraging good. it. Good. We do hope you enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for listening to What I Wish I Knew with Mike Irwin and Simon Dorr. Please join us at whatiwishinewshow.com. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please share what I wish I knew with Mike Irwin and Simon Daw with your friends. We welcome your feedback and recommendations of new podcast guests and ideas on topics. If you have business challenges, we're also available for advisory and consulting roles. We'd be delighted to listen and help. Just send us an email. Our address is hello at whatiwishinewshow.com. <laughs>